The Athletic. Probably the best attack in the league if they're all fit and firing, and maybe even the best in Europe, to be honest. It's that good. People talk about Jude Bellingham being a future Ballon d'Or winner, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was, but there's no no reason at all why Saka can't be in that company. For me, Newcastle finish in the top four. They finish fourth, you see. The stadium, the training ground, the infrastructure, you know, the record revenues this season it'll be. Everything else is perfect, so why, why are the conditions not in place? for a head coach and a director of football, you know, to, to put it all together. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Dan Bardell and this is the Weekend Preview. I'm joined by the usual team of George Ellick, Bet365 Steve Freeth and Tim Spears and the Premier League is back with everything still on the line. Arsenal and Man City are battling it out at the top in a title race that looks set to go the distance. Newcastle are well set in their bid to upset the Big Six establishment and take a place in the top four. And down at the bottom, we'll keep an eye across the Premier League's craziest scrap for survival ever. With all that to come, here on the Weekend Preview. Manchester City versus Liverpool for me means tension and excitement. Has got in front of the for me, it's the best game in the Premier League, and I think that's still the case this season. Roberto Firmino. It's in. It's seven. Going into the game, City are in a fairly strong position. But obviously they have got the issue of Arsenal being ahead of them and threatening to keep winning and winning. Zinchenko, Jacka, Trossard, Jacka, Jacka! Pass, 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 Arsenal! But City themselves, they've staved off the issue of complacency from the start of the year. They look a more solid unit. They're still alive in the Premier League. They're still alive in the Champions League. They're still alive in the FA Cup. And Alvarez is onto it and holding off the challenge. Six. The treble chat has been very watered down this year compared to normal years because City haven't quite been at their level going into 2023. But I think they are recovering that now and heading into this game with Liverpool. They are in a pretty strong position. That strong position that City are in would be very heavily undermined if they didn't beat Liverpool. Because now, coming back from the international break, as they do basically every year, they are in the hunt for trophies. They always see it out until the end. They don't mess around. As the City have won this thrilling title race, they've retained their Premier League title, pushed all the way by Liverpool. It's gone right until the final whistle of the campaign. If they were to drop points to Liverpool, already being behind Arsenal, that then undermines their position hugely. And that would mean that this season they have not won four Premier League matches in a row. Against Liverpool, they have the opportunity to do that. If they don't, then that concern about inconsistency comes back. If they do win, 
then you think, right, this is a team that is going to hunt down Arsenal all the way. And I think that is the significance of this weekend's game. That was, of course, the Athletics' Man City writer Sam Lee there on how Pep Guardiola's sides stand ahead of what in recent seasons has been a title decider in its own right between Manchester City and Liverpool. It's not quite that this time round. But, Tim, Sam said something in there that actually really, really piqued my interest in that I hadn't even realised or computed that Manchester City were going for a treble. That That's how under the radar it's flown. I'd not even thought about it, whereas you you thought this time last year, everyone was talking about Liverpool and that quadruple constantly. Even this season, I've heard about Manchester United and winning a treble of sorts more than I've heard the chances of Man City winning a treble. That's very true, what Sam said. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I guess we're quite used to it now. I mean, a, a treble used to be a once in a generational type thing and now it's like once every year or two. So it's not as uh, elusive as it used to be or certainly teams in the hunt for it anyway. Pro- probably because they've, they've barely been top of the table for quite a while now. So that's why uh, we haven't heard it discussed as much. But yeah, they've got Sheffield United in the semi-finals of the Cup and then only Bayern and Real in the Champions League. So, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I guess the, because there's so many points behind Arsenal, you kind of think, oh, it's going to be really difficult for them to overhaul them. But I, I really don't think so. If they can beat Liverpool this weekend and sort of keep results decent for the rest of the month, then that Arsenal game looms really large on April the 26th. And, um, Arsenal, as we've, as we, you know, I know they've, they've been on a great run recently, but, you know, we saw with that Bournemouth game how they can potentially be fallible. They've still got sort of new, Newcastle um, and Liverpool to play as well of course Man City all the way from home so yeah they're very much still in it for me and um, and I'd, I'd imagine Dan they'll be quite happy to be slightly bubbling under the radar in terms of that treble chat you know they have gone missing in big Champions League game in, in the past so I don't think it'll do them any any harm to be sort of slightly under the radar. Yeah Man City of course eight points behind Arsenal with a game in hand heading into this one is it as easy as saying the title race will be over if they don't win Steve? No, I don't think so. Tim's touched upon it there. I think there's still a lot of running in this title race. Even though they are eight points clear, Arsenal are favourites, as you'd expect, with with such a lead at eight to thirteen. But Arsenal, uh, but Manchester City are are eleven to eight, and, and of course they're they're the first off the rank this week as well in 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 this game against against Liverpool. Of course, they have such a a great record at home against Liverpool as well at the Etihad. In fact, an early quiz question for you. I'd be very impressed if you could name any of the defence of either side the last time that these the last time that uh, Liverpool won at Etihad in uh, in the league. Right year. Yeah, well it was 2015. Okay. Yeah, and you could the goalkeeper and any of the four defenders. Mingula was in goal for Liverpool, yeah. Saka? No. Matip? No. Shall I just give him yeah, just yeah, let's ju- have it. just to put you out of your misery. Uh, Mingula, Klein, Skirtle, yeah. Klein. I was like, Tim didn't even get a go. Let's just get on with this. Forget about Tim. I was, I was thought he's stuck on the Zoom call. You know, he took, he, he took, he, he just took, thinking. I'll get there eventually. Took, don't worry. He took so long to join he, it. He deserves um, a chance so, to carry on. Tim does there after getting yeah, started. Any opinion. more? Any more? Tim, now you've googled it. Uh, uh, Moreno. Correct. It was Leah. Uh, nice. side. Yeah, with Skirtle. So Mignolet, Klein, Lovren, Skirtle, Klein. Moreno. And then for Manchester City, get ready for this. Hart, Sagner, Mangala, Dimakalis, Kolarov. I don't know, maybe we got one of them. Maybe two. Yeah, that was... Uh, yeah, I thought that you said a... Mangala the first time and you said Mignolet. So you, I, think, I think you got that one anyway. I, th- I think two you got one. two there. 
It's a, my accent, George. <laughs> well, it's perfect. <laughs> the, the, I, don't, I don't think you can bend your accent. You just butchered the pronunciation, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. the, the, the versatility of the Birmingham accent, George, as, yeah, as you know. Um, you guess yeah, it, it gets us out of trouble, Jim. But uh, yeah, I think Arsenal, if you go back 20 years, I think they did have an eight-point lead. Uh, maybe not as late as this in the day. I, I, I do remember... Uh, Leeds United beating them late on and to get three vital points to stay in the Premier League. Um, it's 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 going to be a great weekend and and, and this is a, such a huge game to kick off proceedings. But Arsenal very much in the box seat and favourites currently. Yeah, it's, I'm finding it quite bizarre that this game's actually opening up the Premier League weekend. You don't often have Man City v Liverpool on BT opening up the weekend. I, I find that interesting. Of course, this is the first round of fixtures since the international break where Phil Foden was forced out of England duty in, in the end and Erling Haaland wasn't involved for Norway. He also hasn't been pictured in Man City training today, which is Thursday, George. Mind games being played there, do you think? It's so hard to know. I, I think in the, the modern age, it's easy to be cynical and just assume that when a player like Erling Haaland decides not to turn out for Norway, there's um, funny business going on. But you know, players do get knocks. We know that Erling Haaland is a player who throughout his very short career so far has always struggled to maintain a level of fitness consistently through a season. It wouldn't be a massive surprise if there is a slight issue with him, whether he's able to start here or not. We don't necessarily know. With Foden, you know, clearly there, you know, with the, with the appendicitis, he's going to be out for the next couple of weeks. I was intrigued to see that he was the one who was, uh, Steve, forgive me for talking about international break again, but it was intriguing that he was the one who was, who was made way for when Luke Shaw was, um, was sent off in the, the game against Italy. Um, given there's already, I think, quite a lot of frustration amongst Man City fans about the way that Foden is treated on England duty, um, that maybe he isn't given the, the kind of protection or, or the minutes that his, his quality uh, dictates. So if City are to be without Harland and Foden for this one, then there's no denying that's going to hurt them. Here's a blast from the past, Tim. Luis Diaz, mm. lovely footballer, mm. set to return for Liverpool. They've missed him. Feels like a very long time since he's played football. It probably actually hasn't been as long as I, I think it has. Probably the World Cup break thrown in the middle has made it seem elongated, but... He was absolutely flying before he got injured. It was a really vital piece of the puzzle at the second half of last season for Liverpool. Massive boost to have him back. Yes, October the 9th, Dan, was the last time he played, off the top of my head. And uh, yeah, no, they have they have really missed him. This, it's more to do with, I guess, rotation, really, because, uh, I mean, Jota hasn't scored in, in, in an awful long time. Salah's not quite been at his best. Nunes has been sort of in and out of form. Gakpo's coming to form now. But still, you know, we'll be talking about Liverpool's uh, attack for a while now in terms of not being at his best. So yeah, they've missed him and his kind of X factor and his ex- ex- explosiveness. Um, I mean, on, on paper, that's it's probably the best attack in the league if they're all fit and firing and maybe even the best in Europe, to be what's honest. Their, it's that, it's well, that, I was going to ask good. you all, what's their, if you, you're the Liverpool manager and you've got a cup for and everyone's fit and you've got to pick a front three, who are you picking? Because there's a lot of options there. Uh, it's probably Salah, Gakpo and Diaz. On current form, would you drop Salah? No. No, never, no, no, ne- no, never drop Salah. He's the only one that naturally fits on that right hand side for them. Really, that's that's the issue with Salah. Although they've got a lot of options in that front three, Salah is yeah. the right hand side. There isn't really anyone that naturally can can play there like like, like he can. George, what would your front three be? I think now I w- I would play Darwin. Pro- it's probably Diaz who has to muster his way in, and you'd have Gakpo, Nunes, and and Salah. But in my mind, Liverpool have been at their best under Jurgen Klopp when they've had very consistent partnerships across the pitch, whether that's the, the front three of Mane, Firmino and Salah, whether it was the midfield, 
that we saw so consistently uh, as well. And for, for the first time, I mean, it should be such a massive strength to have strength and depth and to have the kind of depth and quality that they've got. But this is the first season where, without injury dictating it, we're seeing consistent rotation amongst players in the Liverpool squad. And I wonder if that's part of the reason why they've they've struggled to find any rhythm. And maybe because of the way that Jurgen Klopp likes, his t- likes to set his teams up, they'd be better fitted by having a more settled side. Liverpool face Chelsea on Tuesday night before Arsenal head to Anfield next weekend. It's a decisive run of games, a big seven days in their bid for a top four finish. Steve, I imagine you're going to ask us how many points are they going to get from the next three games? Yeah, three three massive games and two of those guys being away from home as well, where uncharacteristically Liverpool have been absolutely woeful. However, if you want to flip that round away from Anfield... They've been having a lot of chances, but just not putting them away from home. They've scored 13 goals. The XG says they should have scored over 20. Darwin Nunez will be one of those, the reasons why Salah, away from home, I don't think has also um, scored enough goals. But they do take points off the top sides. If you look where they've taken points this season, these three games are huge, uh, particularly if you want to sign football for Champions League football next season, which they're 9-4, to four, by the way, guys, to finish in the top four currently. I have grouped some prices together. So one by one, I will take your opinion of combined points across the three games. George, can I start with you first? I'm going to say three. Okay. Uh, We've grouped it one to three points at 11 to 10. Dan? I'm going to shock you. I'm going to say six. Okay, yeah. We've got four to six points at at five to four. So two victories. Incidentally, who will they beat? Chelsea and Arsenal. We're going to beat Arsenal. Wow. Well, Arsenal's record at Anfield is horrific. 2012 was the last time that they've actually won there. So, and and you, I think, is that a late kickoff on a Sunday afternoon? You'd imagine the Anfield crowd, living Liverpool at home, as we've seen against yeah. Manchester United, are pretty solid, didn't they? So, um, yeah, I think the... They beat, yeah, they beat Man City at home as well, didn't they? 1-0. Salah yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I fancy six points I'd go with. I know that doesn't seem... It seems a bit strange at the moment to say that, but yeah, I think that's what I believe. Okay, Tim? Uh, one. <laughs> okay, yeah. And who will that point be against? Uh, they'll get, get a point at Chelsea, I think. Okay, cool. All right then. Interesting to see what happens with that. It's a, it's a huge, huge week at both ends of the table in the Premier League. And when we come back, we'll get into the Arsenal angle of the title race as they welcome Leeds to the Emirates. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. So then Arsenal v Leeds is a Saturday 3pm kickoff, and of course Saka starred for England during the international break. Tim, where does he rank amongst the best in the Premier League? Blimey. Um, I mean, he's in the top 10, I'd say, certainly mm-hmm. this season. Um, I mean, he's the only player to get 10 goals and 10 assists so far. I mean, the, the maturity he's showing age, age 21, you know, for Arsenal and England is remarkable. And on Countdown, if anyone saw that, um, <laughs> is... is it's remarkable, really. You know, um, he's growing into a, a crucial, indispensable player. Already, he already has. You know, for for both teams. Uh, I, I'm just going to quickly say, I cannot believe this game is not on TV. All right, I know, I know, I know I do this. I know I do this every single week. Bingo. But come yeah. on, 
Tim Spears, bingo. Tick off the list. There we go. Why is this not? Why is this not on TV? Um, that's five. That's five of six Arsenal games that have not been screened. Yeah, that is you on know TV. What? I've got to side with Tim. It's that is bizarre. That is bizarre. In 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 the most interesting title race, you know, that that m- most of us would agree there's been in recent years. Insane. And and Man City Liverpool shouldn't shouldn't be on at twelve thirty on a Saturday either. Because, you know, well, I'm, I'm going to miss it. I'll be travelling to a game. I'm sure a lot of us will miss it if we're at games. So, yeah, not happy with uh, the broadcasters again. <laughs> Steve, you've got some odds for Saka for PFA Player of the Year. Yeah, I have. He's actually joint second favourite with uh, his teammate, Odegaard. They're both at, at 6-1 to one behind Haaland at, at threes on. So, I mean, statistically, Saka's been great. Tim's already touched upon the goals and assists. So he's top for carries in the box by some way. Progressive carries, he's second behind Sahar. So... It's been a it's been a brilliant season for him, and he was sixty six to one in pre season for this market Saka, and he was actually hundred to one just before he scored the winner against Leeds, which I think was in October, and we, then we shortened him into forty. So it's a single figure price now, but he could also be in the running for the PFA Young Player of the Year, and I also offer you three guys an oat cake, of course, I, I if you can name me, you can name me any players that have won both the Young Player and the PFA Player of the Year in the same season. Tim will get one. Mm, Michael Owen? That's what I was going to no. say. Oh, no. I wasn't actually going to say that. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wayne Rooney? No. Tim, you, you you can get this. Think of... Steve Ball? I mean... Yeah. No, no. I'm, I'm, <laughs> Ronaldo? Ronaldo is one. Kane? No. I'm thinking 1980, Tim, for you. you, you you'll remember that. 1980. Yeah, he also played for West Brom and Villa. Oh, that's why. That's why I try and try and forget about him. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, why. yeah, yeah. Andy Gray, Andy Gray won it in 1977, and Gareth Bale won it in 2013. Gareth Bale. Those are, that, I think those are the three that I think they've won both. I'm just going to check now that Michael Owen didn't win both, but, but yeah, crack. <laughs> so crack it, crack on, Dan. <laughs> okay, interesting then. Yeah, fair play to Saka. You know, he seems like such a lovely guy as well, and he's such a good footballer. Yeah, I think it would be a travesty if he doesn't win the Young Player of the Year award. Even though, in my mind, it always kind of frustrates me how goal scorers mop up at the awards. But I don't think anyone could argue that Erling Haaland wouldn't deserve it this season, given what he's managed to achieve in his first season in the Premier League. But I, I still think that there is, isn't enough talk about how good Bukayo Saka is, just in general he's terms, class. where I think often you get centre-backs and you get centre-midfielders who or strikers where you can't really see a weakness in their game. With wide players, normally you have like a, a defined skill, even at the very top level. You, either you're someone with like pace to burn or you're brilliant at standing players up or you're a wide forward who scores goals. In Bukayo Saka, you've got a player who can genuinely do it all he has the pace to glide past players he's got unbelievable feet to beat them um, standing up he scores goals his quality on the ball his ball retention is superb and he's clearly unbelievably intelligent both on and off the pitch it's unbelievable what he can do and, and what he could continue to do in his career like you know people talk about Jude Bellingham being a future Ballon d'Or winner and it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was but there's no no reason at all why Saka can't be in that mm. company yeah, sorry to bring up internationals against it. But just, England's options for the two to play off Harry Kane are just absolutely mm. incredible. Saka, Rashford, Grealish, Madison, Foden. That is an embarrassment of riches. Poor Raheem's dropped down the list, hasn't he? Oh, yeah, I forgot Raheem Sterling. He's probably throwing <laughs> Mason Mount in there. He's capable of playing in the front yeah. three as well. You know, those options for England, absolutely out, out of this world. 
Ars talking of out. Arsenal are out of the Europa League. That was a very poor segue into this section. And Gabriel Jesus <laughs> was back before the international break. Could they be in better shape ahead of the running team? Uh, no. No, probably not. I think especially given how they responded to that Man City defeat a couple of months ago, they've won all six since then, which is, which, you know, really points to their sort of mental strength and resilience. They've done that without Jesus, you know, they have missed him, but obviously he will add another option to them. And that's one thing that they do lack is, is options. But no, they're in a great position. If Liverpool can do them a favour this weekend, then it's going to look extremely good. Uh, for the title race, but yeah, just in terms of player of the year, I mean, it has it has to be Haaland, it can, and he's twenty two, so he might he might win a young player as well. To be honest, he can he can win both. Um, yeah. So yeah, the guy's going to score what forty goals, Premier League, 50, 60 goals, all competitions. Like he's got to win everything going for me. Is he fit though? Is he going to score forty Premier League goals? Is he available? We don't know. We just don't know at the moment. It's an interesting debate that whether or not you know when you've got two quality players competing for the for the top award, like if if you really should win both. Like in my mind. Just because he's won the the main award, does that mean he should win the Young Player Award, or or, or is it an opportunity mm, to point. you know? It's obviously been done before, and so therefore it probably will be again. But it would seem like a bit of a you should be able to um, reward the performances of two outstanding talents. If but if you're fo- in your sorry, Dan, I'm what? just going to say if you're a, if you're a footballer, I think we're, we're going to go both down the same line here. Who votes for it? Do you kind of vote for Harland as being the best one, then automatically say, well, I've already voted for him. I'm not going to yeah. vote for him as the young player as well. So. That's maybe why it's only happened possibly three times. And if you're a yeah. Man City player, do you want to vote for, for Saka? And if you're an Arsenal player, do you, do you vote for Haaland? I mean, Steve completely stole what I was, what I was about to say. Calling me a quiz there. He stole what I, was, <laughs> what I was about to say in, in the podcast. Let's move on to Leeds now. Only one defeat in four Premier League games under Javi Grazia. That was 1-0 away at Chelsea. Yeah, they're still just two points above the relegation zone. George, I say it every week, this, this bottom of the table is fascinating, but it does, of course, change week to week. Yeah, yeah, it does. And I, I think with Leeds under Xavi Gracia, obviously the, the the results have been really good. There's been some really interesting trends in terms of their performances as well. You know, we think of Leeds having a very clear identity in the way that they want to play. That's why when Bielsa moved on, they went out and, and hired a coach in, in Jesse March, who insists that his teams press incredibly aggressively too. They've gone from having pretty much the lowest PPDA, and, and PPDA is a, a pressing metric which measures the amount of defensive actions. I'm glad um, you clarified because I, did, I, I didn't know what that was. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it measures the, the amount of defensive actions basically per opposition um, pass. So how many passes the opposition will, will kind of get through before the before you try and get the ball off them in kind of uh, layman's terms in, in a certain area of the pitch. And Leeds have, have obviously always scored, had a very low PPDA, which means they're a, a, a team that press a lot. Since um, Javi Gracia came in, they rank, depending on which kind of data provider you use, second or third highest, basically meaning they are just massively sitting off teams now. So they have torn up their identity. They have looked to play a different way, which is what you should do, I think. When you are changing a manager midway through the season because things aren't working you know you have to try something that hasn't previously worked and despite the fact that they've recruited to play a certain way the results have followed the only caveat to that is that when you look at the actual performances in the last couple of games undeniably been running very hot you know they scored two goals against Brighton from about 0.5 expected goals against Wolves as I'm sure Tim will tell you, you know, Wolves created by far the better chances in the game, but Leeds were were by far uh, more clinical. So whether they can maintain that, it we're yet to see. And also long term, it'll be really interesting to see what happens at Leeds if Gracia does keep them up. Because do you reward a short term fix with a long term deal when he 
isn't playing the kind of football that the you know the ownership and the and the director of football have, have tried to implement at the club. My hunch is probably not, and my hunch is that Leeds fans probably won't be particularly happy if um, if if they don't look to to maintain what has so far been. Uh, a system that's worked. Yeah, and injuries are stacking up for Leeds. Though Tyler Adams missed the win over Wolves and has since had an operation on a hamstring injury. I think he's out for the season now. Nonto and Verba are also looking like they're going to be out this weekend. Tim, three really key players. Pretty much, I mean, two of them are in the in the core of the team as well, aren't they? And Nonto is probably one of the most exciting players, young players in the Premier League at the moment. So they're three huge players for Leeds. Yeah, definitely. And then when <clears throat> when you think like someone like Stuart Dallas has been out for the whole season, such a key player. Bamford has been has been missing a lot or not fit. I think he's only scored four goals. When you add sort of Phillips and Rafinha out of that team from last season, you can see why they've struggled. Really, yeah. you know, there's there's key key players all over the place there. I mean, they showed in the in the. I mean, Wolves sort of handed them a couple of goals and 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 imploded, but you know, they showed that the spirit is definitely still there. And yeah, you start looking at fixtures now. It's the final ten. It's the real run in. Leeds do have a tough run in. You know, they've got they've got Arsenal, Man City, Spurs, Newcastle, Fulham and Brighton in the last ten. Then you flip that and you look at someone like Palace. Palace's next six are all against teams below him in the table. Now you could say that they could get sucked into it if Roy doesn't get it right. However, they'll be seeing that as an opportunity to say, look, we can be safe in, in three weeks, basically. So that becomes really important. And Leeds running in is is not great, obviously starting with this game against Arsenal. And you do, despite that win over Wolves, you do worry for them. One thing I'd say about Leeds, though, whatever the results, I would never accuse their players of not playing for the badge. I think every week, those Leeds players, whoever the manager's been, they do give everything for for the cause, but those injuries are, are certainly a problem, Steve. Do, do the injuries to Leeds, are they, are they reflected in the markets? They're three to one to go down, Dan. They're only eight to one to win um, at the weekend at Arsenal. Uh, this is an Arsenal side, by the way, have only kept three clean sheets at home, so they can be got at. And I'm sure the manager will will have a plan. Just an interesting stat that I picked up while looking at the uh, the last few games for it's Luke Aylin, who scored at Molyneux. He's had 13 shots since the start of February, which I find that amazing. And he finally scored his first goal of the season. And where did he start his career? Arsenal. Arsenal, yeah. Mm. So maybe have a look out for him, but a massive price at the weekend. Rodrigo's coming back, so that's huge for them. But they are three to one to go down, and the top three in the betting guys are Southampton at four to eleven, Bournemouth at eight to thirteen, Nottingham Forest at evens. If, incidentally, I'll just mention that Leeds are the same price as former top half challengers Wolverhampton Wanderers at three to one to be relegated. Next, we'll look at Newcastle versus Manchester United, Sunday, 4.30pm. Not sure what Tim Spears thinks of that kickoff time. Is it acceptable? Who knows? I'm sure we'll find out in this segment. Newcastle, of course, back-to-back wins ahead of the international break. Two points off Tottenham in fourth with two games in hand. Tim, are they the favourites for fourth? It's tough, isn't it? Um, I, I do like the kickoff time. It's, it's it's a very it's a very Sunday half-four kind it's of fair. game, isn't it? Yeah, Very yeah. social, very Can't... social for us. Yeah, yeah, can't argue with that. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I do think it's really going to bunch up. I mean, I think you'd say if Liverpool lost to Man City at the weekend, then they could be 10 points off fourth if Spurs win on Monday night. And you'd say that's too much to catch up. However, with no other competitions to play in and injured players coming back, certainly in terms of the forward line, and we know Liverpool can go on a roll, they can meet Man United 7-0. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule Liverpool out of it. Newcastle... 
I know they won a couple of games against Forest and Wolves before the international break, but that didn't quite do enough to convince me that they're sort of back. I do think it's really going to bunch up. You know, Brighton have got three games in hand as well. And and Spurs just somehow keep churning out results, even though uh, they've got like no staff left at the club now. Um, I think Brentford and Fulham are sort of out of it, but otherwise it's what, five into two? However, if Man United do win this game, you'd say third is very much theirs to lose. But yeah, it, just in terms of Newcastle, I mean, you know, they, they, they did lose it a little bit um, between Christmas and um, just for the international break. Obviously, nobody consistently scoring. Bruno was suspended for a bit. Almiron's form dipped and it just felt like a bit of a natural levelling out. I think it's going to take a monumental effort for them to get fourth. I don't quite see it happening. Um, but with the squad that they've got, they're massively overachieving where they are anyway, in my opinion. You think it's that monumental? Two points off Tottenham with two games in hand? Monumental? I just, I just, I just think the direction of travel since since Christmas and certain players being out of form and certainly in terms of scoring goals, I just like I said, a, a couple of wins against Forest and Wolves. Okay, that's that's given them a decent footing again. And if 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 they beat Man United, then yeah, they're, they're right back in it for me. But um, I'm not sure that they will, and I'm not sure they've got quite enough to to get over the line. It's interesting looking at the the fixtures that they've both got up to their game. You know, they meet at St James's Park on Sunday the 23rd of April, but. Between now and then, Newcastle host Manchester United and then have three away games in a row. West Ham, Brentford and Villa. Obviously, Villa and Brentford in great form. West Ham fighting for their lives down at the bottom end. Uh, compared to to uh, Tottenham, who travelled to Everton, as we'll discuss in a second, and then host Brighton and Bournemouth. Um, so, you know, obviously the Brighton home game is difficult, but maybe fixtures will have a better idea, I guess, of, of where both teams are when they face each other, if Newcastle are able to come through those four games with, I don't know, eight points, for example, then I think that would put them in a pretty good position to, to make that fourth spot their own. Steve, what are the, what are the odds for, for top four now? How do the bookies see it? I was interested in Tim's comments there because we, we do make Newcastle pretty strong favourites, 11 to 10 to finish in the top four. So Manchester United, as you'd expect, well, one to six to do that with third place looking quite comfortable for them at this stage with Newcastle at 11 to 10. Spurs at fifteen to eight and Liverpool nine to four and Brighton at at nine to two. I I disagree a bit with with Tim there. I think they've had a lot of players missing a lot of chances. Particularly, I mean, there's been a load of defenders: Botman, Share, Burn. Share's had seventeen attempts in the box since the World Cup, and I don't think he's scored. So watch out for him to uh, to get on the score sheet soon. And yeah, Steve, know, you need to start uh, a, a separate podcast on, on defender scoring. You put it into every segment. Yeah, but Wilson, Willock, Joe Linton, Longstaff, that they've all been they've all been underachieving. And Isaac now to me, keep him fit. He's he's scored twelve. He's had twelve shots on target. He's scored six goals in six hundred and twenty three minutes. Okay, you could argue he's too hot. He's not Elmer on hot. I don't think just yet. But for me. Newcastle finish in the top four. They finish fourth this season. Yeah, and for all the talk of Manchester United completing a League Cup, FA Cup and Europa League treble, if Newcastle win here, they would actually both be on 50 points. Eric Ten Hag's side still have work to do to secure Champions League football, don't they, George? Yeah, they do. I think they're one to six, aren't they, Steve, uh, to finish in the top four. Of course, that will um, ease a bit if they, if they don't come away with three points here. But after the aberration that was a 7-0 defeat, 7-0 defeat, to uh, Liverpool and the um, and then the nil-nil draw after the sending off of Casemiro. I think the international break has come at an incredibly good time for United. It's just given them a bit of a time, albeit not with the players, given they were mostly on international duty, but just basically put a, put a pin in what happened. Um, and although this is a, a difficult game, it helps that they've beaten Newcastle and comfortably in, in a massive cup final. 
uh, fairly recently. So it, it's you know it was easy to get carried away by that at the time. It felt like Liverpool were after that game going to chase down these guys, but realistically, United are in a, a pretty dominant position, and it would take a, a really poor run of form for over the next few weeks if they were to squander that. Yeah, Marcus Rashford missed England duty during the recent break and seemed to annoy absolutely everyone except for Gareth Southgate. Tim, was that a wise <laughs> move on on his part? A few weeks off, should be back for the weekend. Yeah, d- definitely. I, d- I didn't really get that think of that New York thing. You know, if if I had a few days off and 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 his money, then yeah, I'd, I'd do exactly the same. It's like these guys, these guys don't get much time off. Let's be honest. We all constantly raise this crazy football calendar and say that these players these players have been treated like pieces of meat. So yeah, for them the same sort of publications and newspapers to have a go at him for taking a couple of days off to get to America is just insane, to be honest. Man United have got an awful lot of very important games coming up and you'd imagine Eric Ten Hag will want to play, start Rashford in pretty much all of them and we know he's had injury issues in the past. So yeah, a good thing and a good and good timing for him to get a couple of weeks off. And England, you know, didn't miss him, so... Like I said earlier, the, the front options even when a player's missing are absolutely yeah. outstanding for England. Let's look at the trivia then. It's another good question from producer Guy. So listen carefully because you always make me repeat the question. So I'm going to read it very slowly for the people on the panel. Seven of the ten players to play for both Newcastle United and Manchester United during the Premier League era have won the title. Who are they? I think I've got one to start but I don't want to be accused of being a quiz thief again. So I'll let Steve go first. So they've played for Newcastle and Man United. Yes, in the Premier League era, and there's seven of them, and they've won the Premier League title. In fact, I've got two in my head now. Okay, well, you'll have to come back to me, because I'm I'm, I'm 50 years old. It takes me quite a while to to think about it. Do you two two want to go two, but I don't think either of them won the title. So I've okay. got a... I'm confident in my two, so can I can I can I go and get us off to a good start? Yeah, perhaps yeah. I've watched one of these be wrong now. Andy Cole. Oh, my second one is Nicky Butt. There we go. Tim, uh, I'll go with Keith Gillespie. It looked like that was the that was one of mine because he uh, went he went when Cole came over. Yeah, didn't he? yeah, so but he... Blackburn won the league. But he hadn't already won the league. Well, no. not. No. That's a shame. That is a shame. Oh, I've got a belter. Absolute. Oh, did he play in the... I've got one, but I can't... I think he he may have been part of their squad in the Premier League, so I'm going to just say it. Is it Ronnie Johnson one? Oh, superb. The Villa connection. Yeah, I just remembered him Um, randomly playing for Newcastle. I'd I'd say uh, Michael Owen. He won the Premier League. Did he? We're cooking now. I've got to get one. Uh, I've said that. I've said that, and then I've got absolutely nothing after saying we're cooking. <laughs> uh, Who's that? Who was that really bad? No offense if he's listening. Well, no, you know, he, he was really bad. That really bad winger that played for both. I think it was, was he French? Ball dead. Oh, I've got it. Yeah. Obertan. Obertan. Oh. Didn't win the league, Obertan. Who knew? I've got to get at least one. This is bad. So, so, someone's been very, very quiet, I've got to say. Two, two, two people have given, yes. given us nothing. Tim, we were fine, Hold we were on, fine on our own here. Steve, Steve's just sitting there, not even thinking. I'm desperately trying to go through my Merlin Premier League sticker albums in my head. Just trying to <laughs> see if any, anything, will, anything will leap out at me. It's a struggle. I'm struggling. No, I think, I'm, I think the well's dry. No. Come, come on, George. I'm going to give you 10 seconds, George. Come on, George. Oh, God. Oh, God. How did I get? Oh, you would, you would. Oh, yeah, clever. It's clever. 
Right, I'm going to reveal. I'm going to reveal the answers. Oh, I, I'm sad. I don't think any of us would have got the, the ones that we haven't got. In all honesty, so we've got Andy Cole, Ronnie Johnson, Nikki Butt, and Michael Owen. They were the ones that we got right. The three we didn't get: Alan Smith, yeah, yeah, yeah. Louis Saha, mm. yeah. Danny Simpson winning the league for Leicester. That's the kicker one. <laughs> Amazing. That, 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 that's, that's a good one. Great Scott. question. Next, we'll check in on Spurs as they begin life without Antonio Conte. It looked like that was the moment. Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. Right then, Everton v Tottenham. I said about Spurs beginning life with Antonio Conte. He has actually been missing for a few games already this season, Tim, but he won't be back again for Spurs. What on earth is going on? What's happened to Tottenham since you started covering them, Tim? Uh, well, do you know, I, I, it's actually since I stopped covering them because my last game was... Oh, you're um, out now? Well, I was covering Charlie Eccleshare's paternity and he, he's come back to this <laughs> uh, while I'm just, I'm just putting my feet up. Welcome um, back, Charlie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, a, a couple of these things have, well, but both of these things have been completely inevitable, to be honest. Conte leaving the club, it was just a matter of, of when. Of course. And this Parati, this Parati nonsense today, I mean, that's, that's been coming for months. And, and, and yet Spurs put out a statement yesterday, basically asking or saying, we don't know what's going on. That's what's crazy to me is, is, the people at the top here are just sort of losing it a bit, to be honest. Kind of sleepwalking into it all, aren't I? Sleepwalking into trouble. It's crazy. It is crazy. But the Conte thing, I mean, we've spoken before on this pod. It was never a, it was never a, a natural fit. It's a club looking to the long term uh, with an average age of young players who can't compete with the teams around them financially. So so they look to long term with, with cheaper, younger signings to develop over a sustained period of time. That's not Conte. It never has been. Um, you know, he's short term, buy players for his system, shore up the defence, win the league, upset everybody and then leave. You know, that's that's what he does. So it was never a natural fit. It was just a matter of when. And obviously after his outburst at Southampton, which was which was astonishing, to be honest, uh, the relationship with the players has broken down. And um, it's, it's, it's funny, really, because if you look at what he did last season, guiding them from mid table to fourth, which was you know, an overtaken arse in the process well. was a good job. They're fourth right now, which you've got to say again, you look at wage bills and, and, and the amount of money they spent compared to some around them. That's pretty good, to be honest. You know, I know Liverpool and Chelsea are struggling this season, but that's a pretty decent job, really. But obviously there are a lot of other things at play here and the the players are definitely sort of grown tired of his of his methods. But yeah, as like I said, as for the, the Parachi thing, if people hadn't seen, he's he's he was banned from football in Italy in January for alleged financial irregularities during his time at Juventus, him and a lot of other people, most of whom or all of whom resigned from Juventus, you know, um a few months ago. But yet Paratici stayed in his job in January despite this, and despite the suspicion that FIFA or UEFA would extend his Italian ban, you know, to either Europe or globally. That has now happened. He's now banned from football globally. Um the day before this happened, he was he did a video, uh, a sort of a selfie video, looked like from home in Italy, which Spurs uploaded, talking about Conte's dismissal, which was like proper amateur hour on so many fronts. 
yeah, you've got to say it's completely misguided from Spurs, from Levy in particular, who are sort of claiming this is all a massive shock. My colleague Jack Pitbrook's written a great article kind of uh, saying how bizarre it is that they've stuck by Paratici, you know, the guy who's supposed to be deciding the next head coach. And a club which which prides itself on being sort of shrewd and calculated and um, in, in all the business they do, this is an, an atrocious miscalculation of loyalty. And they're in trouble now and it's all of their own making. Yeah, and for more on Tottenham, you can check out The Athletic's dedicated Spurs pod, The View from the Line. They'll be talking about what comes next for Tottenham Hotspur. That's going to drop on Friday afternoon. Yet yeah, all this, George, they still have Harry Kane. Can he inspire them to a top four finish? Yeah, of course he can. I mean, he's playing incredibly well at the moment. He'll come back from international duty with a massive buzz after, you know, breaking the record for uh, the England uh, goals. And, you know, they're still in a pretty good position, as Tim says, you know, despite everything going on at the club, they seem to pick up, have a, a knack of picking up points. And it wouldn't surprise me either if Antonio Conte is a very good manager um, who has achieved incredible things in the game but it's it's hard to get away from the idea that his his presence at the club might have been a fairly negative one over the last few weeks given the way that he's carried himself in interviews and maybe there'll be a, a bit of a release at the club now that, that he's no longer there but for long term you have to think that the qualification for the Champions League is incredibly important in terms of who they're able to appoint and not having a go at the bet 365 traders Steve but for Nagelsmann to be a shorter price to get the job uh, next season at 13 to 8 and Spurs are to finish in the top four seems wrong because you have to think there's absolutely no way he's going to take that job unless Tottenham are in the Champions League next season. And I think that probably applies to a few of them. I, I don't think Luis Enrique uh, would take a job outside the Premier League. He's spoken about you know his willingness to manage in the Premier League, but, but only for the right job. You know, Pochettino is someone who I think is obviously very keen to return. But again, is he going to take a job at a club who aren't currently in the top four? It's a bit of a mess right now. And especially with the, as we spoke about last week, the Real Madrid uncertainty over that um, managerial position. And with every elite candidate possibly up for the, uh, apart from Luis Enrique, up for the Spurs job, definitely wanting that one above it. It means that Daniel Levy's going to have to either decide to shop around a bit, look, see if he could prize De Zerbi out of Brighton, see if he could prize uh, Postacoglu out of, out of Celtic and, and maybe look for that tier down. Um, but we know that he's a, a pretty proud man who appointed Jose Mourinho seemingly just to, to show how far Spurs had come under his, under his stewardship rather than any footballing strategy. So I'm not sure whether or not he'd like to do that. I'll tell you what, George, it's, a, it's an extremely quiet market as if nobody knows really? what the hell's going on. Um, the the only bit of interest in money that I've seen since we opened it was for Marco Silva, who's back from 50s into 20s. Um, mm. That is the only thing I've seen. And we touched upon Poch, who's, who's 9-2 poke. You thought there'd be of interest in that. There's not. I agree with you in, with uh, Nagelsmann. I think that is a little bit on the short side. I think people are thinking more narrative than, than anybody else, but you do make a fair point. And then I'm thinking Poch, maybe Poch going to Real Madrid, the future of Harry Kane. We've also got Harry Kane's market, just linking that in, where it'll be at the start of next, well, on the on the 3rd of September, at which club he'll be at. And I did speak to my great black country mate, Tim Spears, a little bit earlier, just to get a slight <laughs> steer on this. And I think I might have to be shortening the Tottenham price currently, which is, which is at four to five, him to still be a Spurs player on the 3rd of September with Manchester United at 13 to eight. And Real Madrid at 16. So I just thought that maybe with Poch being there and if Harry Kane does want to leave Spurs and maybe wants to get out of the Premier League, then that could be a decent destination. But Tim, do you he, make he won't want to go out of the Premier League, will he, with that goal I, record? No, 
Mojo, I, I wouldn't sure be surprised, just kind of linking the two, if Ancelotti is sat from Real Madrid, if he's Guess the not at Spurs. I, I would, no, I would, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. He's been linked to the Brazil job, isn't he? But he'd be yeah. someone who I think Levy would certainly target to come in at Spurs. He'd be the kind of draw in terms of his profile that would keep someone like Kane happy at the club. But as you say, I mean, the Brazil link seems pretty solid. Did you listen to another podcast that I did yesterday, George? Because I said exactly the same thing. I didn't. About no, I will, though. Unbelievable. Okay. Sound, sound exactly the same thing. I don't listen to podcasts about Carlo. <laughs> no, Chris Wilder, not in the, not in the running stuff. <laughs> he, well, he's, he's currently in a job, he's, isn't he? So we're. He's got a job. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. at Watford. Although, he's, although he's, the, he's in a job. He's the in a job. As, yeah. The contract's up to at the end of the season. The only yeah. person to ever sign a short term management contract to Watford. Yeah, I'm waiting for a lot of money from uh, from the rural Oxfordshire area. If we, if, uh-huh. if we do see that, then I'll be cutting it quite drastically. <laughs> I mean, there's so much to dissect with Spurs. We're talking like it's a it's, it's an awful job. It's not. It's a, it's a brilliant job. They've got brilliant infrastructure. They've got some brilliant players. It's just there just seemed to be something just ever so wrong with Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, but I, and I, I think been for a long just, time. But I think people are putting are putting two and two together, saying, "Well, as Conte alluded to in his final outburst, you know, it's." Levy's the man who's overseen twenty years of of, of one trophy. I get that. I, 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 you've got to, you've got to look at that because everything else is is perfect. The stadium, the training ground, the infrastructure. You know, the record revenues this season. It'll be everything else is perfect. So why why are the conditions not in place for a head coach and a director of football? You know, to to put it all together. They were so close under Pochettino before a few years ago, like really, really close to to taking that next step, and they they didn't quite do it. And I think sometimes it's really difficult to to recover from that. When they got Poch in and what they did there, that was now they were all good. They were all good decisions. They made a lot of good decisions at that time, and they fell a little bit short. And I think they've struggled to to recover f- from that. Also on contact, he didn't mention himself at any point that anything is anything to do to do with him I think he has to look at himself a, a little bit as well his, his tactics he didn't try and change anything same formation wheeled out week after week it wasn't working but he changed nothing I was saying on another pod that, that George didn't listen to this week that um, <laughs> I was I was um, really looking forward to, to, co- did, to sort did of you listen covering, to my pods this um, week yeah yeah um, yeah no it was really <laughs> well, good well, well we're all going to be in the championship <laughs> next year aren't they so yeah that's what he's listening that's to um, anyway yeah I was saying I was really looking forward to covering Spurs to, to kind of see Conte close up, you know, this world-class manager. And I didn't really see it, to be honest. Like, like Dan says, you know, tactically very inflexible. Um, fell out with people, fell out with his players, made excuses. And yeah. And yet they're still in fourth and 16 points from the last eight games. So it's a bit of a weird one to judge, really. But yeah, it's certainly the right thing for him to go. Everton, the opponents, they, they are actually playing someone this weekend, Tottenham Hotspur. Everton are unbeaten in three since defeat at Arsenal, including two points in their last two away. Deutsch ball looks like it's certainly beginning to take root at Goodison Park. Their next three games are Tottenham at home, Manchester United away and Fulham at home. That's the return of Marco Silva. Steve, we're coming to you again. I presume there's a market on Everton's next three games. No, we haven't actually got one. I uh, presume completely there, wrong. Been... I read no, between yeah, the I mean, lines, and it wasn't on. No, they are they are thirteen to eight. They're down fourth favourites to be to be relegated. Such a huge point, wasn't it? And I know some some non Everton fans were a bit critical of the way that they celebrated that point um, at at Stamford Bridge. But in the grand in 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 the every point it, is massive, massive. It's absolutely massive, and the fact that. The guy that scored it as well is also fantastic to see him score a goal as well. That would have been a, a huge goal for him as well. And, and with these, these tough games coming up against Tottenham and Manchester United. But it's a tough one. That, Tottenham are favourites to win that game. But I think Spurs are a huge lay at 6-5 to five currently, I think, in this game. Okay, then those are our featured games to look out for this weekend. 
with this being how the full Premier League weekend looks. It gets underway at the Etihad as Liverpool travel to Man City in the early game on Saturday. Tim Spears absolutely raging. There are five three o'clocks, including leaders Arsenal at home to Leeds. Tim Spears still raging. Bournemouth play Fulham. Brighton take on Brentford. Crystal Palace host Leicester City and Wolves travel to Nottingham Forest in a Midlands derby. The tea time game sees Chelsea take on Aston Villa at Stamford Bridge. Then on Sunday, West Ham take on Southampton and Newcastle play Manchester United before Monday night football sees Tottenham make the trip to Goodison Park. George Roy's return at Palace sees Leicester head to Selhurst Park. How do you assess that one? I think the appointment makes very little sense and I'm somebody who has a lot of time and respect for Roy Hodgson to, to deliberately go away from a certain style of manager to have this kind of success they had last season and then on the brink of an incredibly easy run of games, albeit high-pressure games given how perilous the, the relegation situation is, to, to sack Vieira and just to return to the previous manager just seems incredibly short-sighted um, and would give me next to no faith, even if Hodgson's only there to the end of the season, in their ability to appoint a, a manager in the summer, given especially that Vieira is about fourth choice in the first place anyway. I think Palace fans mainly wanted... Vieira to go but they didn't want Vieira to go and to be replaced by someone and something that they'd left behind Tim Wolves v Nottingham Forest as we know you're our expert on the panel you declared Wolves safe already I thought that was me that did that to to be honest are any nerves setting in no no still they're safe fine absolutely fine just just (laughs) shore shore it up a little bit at the back be fine I'm, I'm going on Saturday I'm not nervous whatsoever it's fine Wow, that is the opposite of how I've ever felt when my team's involved in in, in, a, in a relegation <laughs> battle. I've just assumed my team will go down every, every single time. So extreme confidence from, from Tim. We'll, we'll discuss this next week, of course, on the pod. Steve, West Ham v Southampton with their Europa Conference League campaign ongoing. West Ham are going to have to get used to playing catch-up and reacting to the others, aren't they? Yeah, the Danny Ings derby. Um, yeah, both, nice. both, both in the bottom three at the start of this weekend. Any consolation to West Ham fans? They are five to two favourites to win the Conference League this this season, but only four to one to get relegated as well. So, yeah, quite nervy for them. And with their poor away form, are we into must win territory for the Hammers in this one? I think West Ham aren't getting spoken about enough as being genuine contenders to go down. You look where they sit Definitely and agree. some of their results. Yeah. They feel like the one that have been discussed the least to go down out of all nine. Apart from for, uh, Forest, their fixtures are the hardest. Yeah, Forest and them um, haven't got a great running. No, one one game away from home all season. That that's pretty <laughs> bad, and, and they have and they have got some tough games at home. Clearly coming up as well. So it's uh, Arsenal, Liverpool, uh, exactly. United all yeah. at home, and they've got yeah, to go yeah, to yeah. City. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm raging like Tim Spears here because I know who that one win was against for West Ham away yeah. from home. Steve, time for the six scores challenge. Let's finish off the podcast. Okay, here we go, George. I'm going to start with you. Arsenal versus Leeds. Um, 3-0. And Brighton against Brentford. Uh, the uh, the punters derby. Um, one all. Okay. Uh, Tim, I'll come to you. Uh, a rerun of the 1980 League Cup final. Um, now it's oh, more more of a relegation six-pointer, I would say. So Forest versus Wolves. Yeah, no Andy Gray, but uh, Wolves will still win uh, 2-0. Okay, and West Ham, Southampton? Uh, Nil-nil. Ooh, like it. Okay, Uh, Dan, I'm hoping for a 7-0 or an 8-1. Chelsea versus Villa? Yeah, Villa have got an abhorrent record at Stamford Bridge, but I'm going to say a 1-1. Ooh, okay, and Newcastle, Manchester United? I don't know, I don't know. I'll go 1-1 again. Okay, well, we haven't 
had a, a million pound uh, jackpot, hasn't been won yet. We have paid out over a million pound in consolation prizes. So the consolation prizes for three, four and five, correct? So fingers crossed that this is the weekend. That's it from us here at the Weekend Preview. Chappers will be back on Monday here on the Athletic Football Podcast. Until then, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy all the football. Thank you very much for listening. The Athletic.